Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Working Therapist Podcast. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and today our topic is managing cancellations and no-shows. So I have brought in two experts, Kim Molnar and Kirsty Miles, who are both actually team leads here at PDT, and myself, but I'm not sure I'm in the expert category, but anyway, I'm in on it. So here we go. But we are talking about how to manage cancellations and no-shows, which is a chronic problem if you're in private practice. Pretty much everybody I talk to deals with cancellations and no-shows and how to best work on them. And so here at PDT, we take a proactive approach to those. So we're doing a podcast about it. But first, why don't we introduce Kim and Kirsty? So Kim, why don't you go first and just introduce yourself, tell mm-hmm. everybody a little bit about yourself. And- okay. I'm Kim Molnar. I'm a speech-language pathologist here at Pediatric Developmental Therapy. I'm also the team lead for our blue team in Fayetteville. Welcome. Glad you're here with us hanging out and doing this today. And Kirsty, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, Kirsty Miles. I'm a physical therapist, and I am working with Purple Team over in the Southern Pines area. So cancellations and no-shows, if you've been in private practice, and I've been in private practice now for about 20 years, can really uh, hem you up for therapy. It basically can get in your way and prevent you from really doing effective therapy. So, Kirsty, why don't you kind of start us off in terms of like how these cancellation no-shows get in your way of really doing effective therapy? Well, we always talk about the plan of care. We established a plan of care for patients to be seen, whether the recommendation was twice a week or once a week. And so, we feel they need that amount of therapy. So if they're canceling, not showing up for therapy, it's not going by the plan of care. And also, they're not able to come in and get what they're going to work on for the next week as part of the home program. So ultimately, if they're not showing up, they're not getting better. The whole idea of therapy is we establish goals, we work towards those goals with the set plan of care, and we discharge them from therapy. Like that's what the purpose is. And it's also holding up other patients from being seen or evaluated that do want to come in for therapy. Yeah, exactly. So it's very frustrating when you're the treating therapist. And then just from besides the therapy part of it, then really in terms of from the business standpoint, to keep the doors open, to keep the lights on, to keep everything flowing, the money rolling in, it doesn't work well from a business standpoint to have the no-shows. And so we talk about this a lot with our front desk people here at PDT so that they understand and buy into the, hey, this keeps the wheels turning and the cogs moving and that kind of thing. So you want to have your schedule full. But then from a therapist standpoint, too, we say people aren't getting any better. So, you know, what am I here for if I'm not seeing kids? You know, so it's two kind of different ways to look at it. And another thing I say a lot that maybe helps with this cancellation no-show perspective is at the end of a therapy session, all you have is your relationship with that child and family. There's nothing you can smell, feel, touch, hold. I mean, you don't have anything tangible at the end of a therapy session. We're not making widgets. So if you don't have a connection with the family, then really you don't have anything. And my thought with this cancellation no-show situation is... It starts with that family connection, the relationship with the child, the relationship with the family. What do you think about it? Right. I completely agree. From the time you establish that rapport, 
with the families. You come in, you meet them, you do the evaluation. You start, in my opinion, from that first second that you're making eye contact with the child and the family and you're building that relationship. And it really starts there because it's a connection you have to make that they do not teach you through your programs. They don't teach you that in school. I don't know that you get it when you get out of school and do your internships or your CFY or first nine months, first 10 months. This is something that you really have to know how to manage from day one that you start your practice in all settings. We're talking about private practice here, but even when you're in contract sites, when things are very different and the children are still right there, you still have to have the management skills and the people skills to work with the teachers, work with the child development directors. I mean, you have to have these skills in all sites. So across settings, this skill is very valuable. You know, you could take a child development center and a teacher standing in the classroom. You have to build that rapport with them because they have to know the purpose and the importance of therapy every session, every day, if you see that child multiple times a week. Same thing with private practice when you establish that rapport in the waiting room or if you're going back to the therapy room, that communication and that skill to convey to them how important these sessions are. If you don't come, you don't get better. So this is something that's ongoing across settings. It's really a skill that you have to develop In my opinion, I remember my first day of practicing, and I thought, I either sink or swim. And, buddy, you better start swimming, because not only do you have to help the children, but you're helping the parents, the educators, the child development director. You're helping all these people help you help this child that needs therapy. So it's a lot to mold and a lot to implement throughout the hour that you're with them, the day that you're there for therapy, and the week that you're at that site. What I'm taking from what you're saying is also understanding the bigger, broader picture and how all those people fit in, but also then your role as a therapist because you're there to help this child get better. That's the name of the game. We have a short little period of time. We say this all the time at PDT. This is our why. We have a short little period of time to make a difference in these children's lives for the better and educate families. And so if you don't have that connection and buy-in, then right from the beginning, and that, in my opinion, is a big thing that prevents us cancellations and no-shows, but understanding your why As a therapist, which you aren't taught in school, like you said, understanding that and Mm -hmm. then really making that connection with the family and then telling the family, look, I'm here to help your child. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to get better. The name Mm -hmm. of the game is to get better and then Mm -hmm. get out, you know. But then that's the why for the therapist. So that sort of has to be taught and learned. And then, like we said earlier, for our front desk and our admin staff people, you know, they're not coming from a therapist perspective, but they need to understand, hey, look, you know, these appointments These children do have to get better. They are improving. The family's coming in. We do have to hold them accountable. But then also, an open slot means there's no money coming in or no, you know, we can't keep the doors open. So we have to keep those schedules full so the therapist can be therapists and do what they do. So it's really two different ways of thinking, but it's really the same goal. We're helping people get better and improve. So really, you have to establish that connection from the get-go, from admin and from therapist. Team effort. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Big one. Yeah, and we're a practice that, I mean, we book individual therapy sessions. We don't have multiple people coming in at the same time or we're booked every 15 minutes. We book out an hour for PT and OT and 30 minutes or 45 minutes for speech. So when our person doesn't show, there's nothing else for you to do. You can't make up something to do in that time. (laughs) So it's important that they come for therapy. 
Yeah. And so like you're saying, why don't we start with them from the beginning, like when they're scheduled? Our admin staff is responsible for scheduling. So why don't you start us off, Kirsty, with how they go with scheduling the connection they make then? Sure. We, in our system, we have a waiting list where the names get added, the dates they're added, and depending on the availability in the clinic, we do have people that are on the wait list for a while. Maybe they're waiting for a specific time of day or, you know, that sort of thing, which is hindering the process and making it take a little bit longer for them to get in. But as soon as we have our openings, the patient gets a phone call. And I think at that time, when the front desk makes that phone call, it's really important to communicate whether they have availability for a recurring slot or whether this is an eval and that we're going to work them in as we are able until a recurring slot becomes available. Because we don't have readily available openings. I mean, we're full, Mm-hmm. which is a good thing. But we also want to be able to get those children in to be evaluated because it could be a referral that's questionable. Like maybe they have a need for therapy, but maybe it's just, you know what, mom and dad, they're right on target. They're doing good and they don't really need us at this time, but maybe check back in six months. Right. You know, so they might not need ongoing therapy. And then it just gives that parent a peace of mind. Like, okay, here's what we're going to work on for the time being. And we'll check back in. But for those that are going to need ongoing therapy, we need to communicate how valuable that appointment time is Mm -hmm. and that it did become available recently. And that if they're going to need to reschedule or that time is not going to work, we do have a policy in place. And it states that we require 24 hours notice. And then if it's within two hours of the appointment, it would be marked down as a no-show. And that we do have a policy that we ask that all new patients sign, and you'll be signing that when you come in for your appointment, and we'll review that with you. But then right from the get-go, before they ever even step foot in the office, they already have an expectation of how valuable this appointment is. Mm-hmm. And I think also, like you're saying, and clearing up with families from the get-go that this is a medical appointment. So I think sometimes, especially since we're a pediatric clinic, everything's, you know, pediatric. It doesn't look like a doctor's office, you know, and so, because um, then that's really on purpose, because we don't want to be a right. scary place for kids. We want it to be no. fun. And But at the same time, it is a medical appointment. So I think them understanding that's key. And I think then when they're coming in for the appointment, they do fill out all the paperwork and we have the policy that where it's clearly outlined and we're making some revisions to that now just because we've realized that things could be done better. But, you know, when you've got your child and they may need close supervision in the waiting room and then you're trying to fill out all the paperwork and you're trying to see what's going on over there and it's noisy and it's busy. Yeah, you might not have read it that clearly. Yeah. So it's not always the parent's fault that it didn't get read and they're just trying to get things signed so they can get into their appointment on time and not run behind. And, you know, so I think it really, to take that next step for the front desk to be like, okay, did you have any questions? Let me just review this policy with you. And so that's just taking it to the next level. And it's clarity. And I think Mm -hmm. clarity and transparency is key in every situation, especially when you're dealing with somebody's child and, you know, what's going on and you want to be clear. So I think we just start that standard from day one and then it just it carries over to everything, you know. So I think that's really important. It also builds trust and builds that relationship because really it is a relationship, you know. So, yeah, I agree. And even the front desk people have a relationship with these families, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see that all the time in our clinics. And so I think that's important. And that sometimes gets undermined a little bit or you don't realize it's such important, but it's huge. 
Right, because they're there weekly, and they're the first people they see when they come in. They sign the check-in sheet. They ask them questions because most more than likely a therapist are in the back, you know, doing the therapy session right before. So they develop a rapport with mm-hmm. the front desk personnel just as quickly as they would the therapist. Mm-hmm. We say this before too, but that person that schedules or that person that's there at the front desk or this family's or these families' connection with somebody that's going to help their child, and so. For me and myself as a mom, you know, I'm going to latch on to anybody that I think may or may help my child. And so I take that very seriously as a therapist. And the mm-hmm. people who are our admin staff are the first people the parents talk to. And mm-hmm. they kind of latch on or connect with them because they're helping their child get seen and get better. Yes. And I think it's important for the front desk person to also be understanding, like, we understand that there are going to be times you need to reschedule or cancel. We just need as much notice as you're aware of so we can make the changes in the schedule to help you. So I think it does take that flexibility and that understanding, too, on the front desk part. That's a serious job. I've said this a ton of times. I wouldn't hire me for that job. Let me tell you, it's no joke. It's serious. And you've got a lot to do up there. And I'm not really sure I'm qualified, honestly. But that being said, it's a big, huge job. And you've got to really be personal and connect with the families. But you can't Mm -hmm. necessarily be best friends Mm because that's not Mm -hmm. all appropriate either. Kirsty, like you said, because you have to also help these families sometimes problem solve. And a lot of our little people coming in have lots of various appointments at places. And so you have to be a little bit savvy about the schedule and ask the right questions at the right time and also help them problem solve with different situations. Kim and I have had situations at the front desk where we're like, well, hold on, you know, this is a mama who's really busy and what if we shift and do here? Maybe mm-hmm. she can make it in or I don't know. You have to be able to think on your feet a little bit as a front desk person. Right. Mm-hmm. I like to call it dig a little deeper. Mm-hmm. You got to dig deeper and you really have to, there's a fine line between the professional relationship and a personal relationship. I'm not a huge fan on crossing the two. I think keeping it professional is definitely the key, but they really have to be skilled in knowing not to cross that line, but still be helpful, still be intuitive. Sometimes I've, I've seen it happen every day. They're, they're so intuitive. They've established a rapport with the families, whether it's a payment issue or we're going to be out of town for two weeks. I don't want to lose my slot. You know, what do I do about that? Or this time's not working for us because I have to work overtime next week. You know, all of these things they have to take in. But in addition to the information that's coming in, they've got to be quick to problem solve. They got to problem solve and they got to know how to be quick with their solutions and hopefully effective. Mm-hmm. It's a learned skill. It takes practice and it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think all those are important things to think about in the admin practice at a private practice. And for the admin front desk responsibility, all of those are important things that the, really the front desk person has to do. And like you said, Kirsty, it's really got to start by just the transparency and the clarity with that paperwork from get-go and let the family know really, hey, this is what you're signing. This is what our policy is. And this is what we expect. And it really kind of leads into, so, you, you know, you jump that hurdle there. And then as the therapist starts their work, it kind of feeds over into the therapy thing because we talk about accountability and home programs and all that. Definitely. The therapist, that's where the buy-in really starts. I mean, when you start with your therapist, it's, okay, I've bought into what they're selling and I'm going to follow it and I'm going to do what they tell me to do because that's what's going to get my child better. Yeah. And so if the therapist is failing to provide a home program or not really giving them resources, well, then they're not going to be bought in because they're not going to see the progress, number one. 
but what are they coming back next week for? Because they didn't go home with anything to work on. And then it, it sort of sets the family up to start thinking, oh, well, you know, they just get it all done in PT or speech or OT. But really, the progress can't happen and children can't get better in just one hour of therapy or 30 minutes of therapy a week. I mean, that's not going to get the job done. Yeah. So if you're not given a home program, you're really almost doing the parents a disservice. I look at it like, obviously speaking from a PT standpoint, and you might be able to give a much better speech example, but if a baby comes in with torticollis, I start with a home program. Here's my basic two exercises that they're going home with. Next week, have they improved? Are we tweaking it or do we need to stay with that? They're coming to you for your professional expertise. Mm-hmm. that's what's going to get them better. So maybe you are sending them home with the exact same thing to work on because they're not quite ready for the next step. But you're the one that's making the call when they're ready to advance and move on. That's what they're coming to you for. So you set that up from get-go. You set that up from the initial eval and what you sent them home with as part of their home program on day one of that eval. Mm-hmm. So really they shouldn't leave the eval without, hey, work on this at home, you know, or something to do. The expectation is there from get-go. I often say, you know, therapists drive the train. So that's my job. I write the goals. I write the plan of care. I basically, I'm driving the train and I decide, okay, hey, look, we're going, the train's going to shift a little here or there or adding this goal or taking this one away or tweaking this. But then it's the job of everybody else to get on board that train and carry it out throughout the week. And then next week they come back and I drive it a little more. Yeah. And it's fine for you to say that to the parent to say, here's the homework we're starting with. Next week, we're going to assess how they're doing and what we need to add or where we're going to progress. And it's also fine for the therapist to say, we just ask that if you need to cancel or reschedule your appointment, you give us enough notice so we can try and fit you in somewhere else in the week, number one, because we still want to make sure we get your child seen. And also, somebody else could fill your slot that day. So we might be able to flip some stuff around. So Mm -hmm. I think it's fine to put some of those flexibility options out there, but let them know also that, hey, if you need to cancel, just let us know. One of the things that I feel is really important too, after you've explained, you know, the cancellation policy and you've talked to them about the home program and discuss some things, you know, specifically that you're going to be doing in upcoming therapy sessions and reiterating the importance of being there on a regular basis is I kind of stop and I like them retell it back to me, so to speak. It's kind of a therapy, it's kind of a therapy strategy that we do use in speech and language therapy, but I give them a chance to talk and kind of take a break and say, you know, what are you thinking? How do you feel about this? And then I get a really good feel just from their responses. If they've heard me, if they're into this, I've said it over and over again, it can be quite intimidating as a first time parent in a medical clinic that specializes in, you know, multidisciplines. It's very intimidating and everybody's not 100% ready to take all that in at once. And they may just be trying to absorb the idea that their child needs therapy. I mean, you really don't know what people are thinking, but everybody takes it in different. So I really like to just allow time for them to talk to me after I've gone over everything just so that I can get a feel before they walk out the door. Are they on this same boat with me? Do they understand what we're saying? Do they have any questions? Do I leave anything unsaid? I mean, it really just gives me a better idea from their response. And I think what also happens is then you give them functional examples of things to do at home. So then they are like, oh, okay, yes, now she's making it so it's a 
Right. I can do this at the house in this way in this time, and then I'll do that, and then they'll see progress in therapy, and then they'll just right. understand the importance. And then, hey, yes, things are getting better. We are making a difference. This is applicable to life stuff. Right. I had a situation today where I was restating and using different words, more parent-friendly words. You know, I gave the technical terms, but then I had to turn around, restate it, and make sure um, parent understood. But then I just kind of left it for a minute. He paused and thought about it and then in his own words you know said it back to me you know oh you want me to do a b and c yes that's what i want you to do so if i've got this joint communication thing going on before they walk out the door i feel really good about it one of the other things that we do and this is a little bit part of the home program part of it but when you're developing that home program with the parent in that first therapy session i think especially for pts and maybe ot's you can probably relate this to speech if there's handling stuff to be done and i always go back to like the little babies with torticollis because they are a little bit more fragile i definitely get the parent down on the floor and i said do you want to try it do you feel comfortable enough to try it and i'll even put my hands over the parents hands and help them through it because you want them to leave with that I can do this I can do this at home I got it Mm -hmm. and so and then when they come back hey show me what you worked on like so we can see how they're doing it does something need to change it might it might be a little bit different because now they've come up with a way to do it at home and it's working but it's not quite there you might have a pointer and now they're going home with that homework again but it's a little bit different and refined and better and it's just a whole new world when you're talking about handling techniques and kind of fine-tuning those so I think that that's just a little addition to the home part yeah and I think also we have to remember as therapists we have our hands on kids all day long that's what we do and so we don't really think as we do these exercises and as we do things it doesn't seem weird or foreign to us and even though you're showing these exercises to parents who touch their kids all day long also you're still wanting them to do a specific thing in a very specific way and that can still it can just feel a little weird and sometimes when you talk it out and they don't do it it just doesn't translate so they really have to do it and again it really empowers the parent I mean I think it says oh yeah yeah like you were saying Kirsty, I can do this you know because we are wanting them to do usually something very specific So then once we have the buy-in from the parent and they're understanding the home program that we're giving them and they're following, they're empowered, they're able to do these exercises at home, then what really should happen then is they will come to their appointments and they see the importance of it and the child gets better. But in the unfortunate and very likely, and because it's real life situation that they know show, if that happens, then what do we do? And my two cents on a whole no-show situation, number one is this. One, if you're a therapist working at a clinic, you need to know the no-show and cancellation policy. So that's my number one thought of this whole situation. And then, Kim and Kirstie, I want to hear what your thought is. But that's my number one. You need to know the no-show and cancellation policy so that you are on the same page with everybody else you work with. And also so you can hold the parents accountable and you know basically what you're talking about. That's my number one. But then, okay, they no-showed and you know the policy. Then what? Address it immediately. And what do you mean by that? That would mean, okay, it's 15 minutes after the appointment time. I see a lot of the therapists come back out of the therapy rooms and go to the front desk and, hey, is my patient here? No, I haven't seen him come in yet. Okay, that's when you just stop what you're doing. If front desk person is busy and they are unable to make a phone call because they got people coming up to their window and they're checking people in and taking payments and that sort of thing, answering the phones, that's when the front desk and the therapist, this 
involves a little bit of teamwork. They're going to have to work together to say, you know what, I'm in the middle of something right now. Here's the phone. Can you go call the patient and find out what's going on? So then they get on the phone immediately to say, hey, I'm here. It's four o'clock. Your appointment time was at four and you're not here. And that's the opportunity the parent's going to say, oh, well, my child is sick. Okay, they might be sick, and that's you got to give a little bit of sympathy, but you also got to say, I'm really sorry they're sick. You know, if you wouldn't mind next time just giving us 24 hours notice, we can give you a copy of that policy you signed if you need to be reminded of what that is. But we just ask that you give us as much notice as possible. And if he was sick this morning, if you could just call the office and let us know, we'll go ahead and fill that appointment for the day. And just reminding them of that. So, and a lot of times what we'll hear is, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, or, oh, I just picked him up from school and he was throwing up in the car. Well, guess what? We don't want him in the clinic. No, no. <laughs> you know, no. so I think there is a little bit of a common sense superpower that comes into play <laughs> because we don't want them bringing sick kids into the clinic, but more likely than not, they didn't get sick within the two hours of their appointment. They were sick that morning or they were sick the day before. Mm -hmm. So we just ask as a courtesy for that as much notice as possible so we can make changes in the schedule. I don't think this is taught in graduate school either. It wasn't in my graduate school where you you know call the family and do this kind of thing. But I think this is, again, just transparency and accountability. And as a therapist, you should expect the parents who are holding you accountable to write a good goal plan and work with their child and make improvements. And then you should, as a therapist, hold the parents accountable that they're going to get the child to the appointment so that you can work with them. So, yes, they're 15 minutes past their time they should have been there. That's when you pick up the phone and call and say, hey, you remember me? And I think I've learned a lot on those phone calls. But that's not necessarily something that I think every therapist right out of school feels the most comfortable with. But you're not being ugly or mean in that phone call. You're just saying, hey, where are you? Because I was looking forward to seeing your little person today. Yeah, part of the relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. ongoing development. I mean, as a parent and you've got a child come in, don't you want whoever's there to meet your child in the morning or afternoon or whenever it is that you, in your heart of hearts, you really want to think, oh, that person got up this morning because my child was coming in because they're the most special person in the whole world. I mean, really? Like, truth be told, really? And I really do. That's how I want people to think when my child walks through the door. Now, I know that's not really what's happening, but I think that's what should be happening. So when a child's coming through that door and I'm there to see him, I really want that parent to think, look, hey, I got up out of bed this morning and I've been waiting all day to see your child right now. You know, I mean, I'm not going to fall all over myself, but I want them to know this is your little person is very important to me. And I think when you make that call, it's telling the parent, hey, I was expecting you and I was looking forward to seeing your person. So you're not here. And what's up with that? That's really what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's really all it is. And I think, as like you said, teamwork, team building, I think therapists have to realize, you know, the people sitting there at the front desk, your patient isn't here, but that doesn't mean every other therapist in the clinic's patient isn't here. And they could have five people standing at the front window and child jumping off a waiting room chair and gosh only knows what's happening. And so I think we say, hey, I can do this. Yeah. yeah. And I think it gives you an opportunity to connect with that parent again to say, you know, sometimes you've got to think on your feet and find solutions on the spot. Hey, the next time you come in, how about we just go ahead and print you off the whole month of appointments, you know, or just really finding what is the root of the problem? Is it 
that the therapist doesn't fit. And so this might be where admin kind of steps in because maybe the therapist isn't a good fit. You can't expect every therapist-child relationship to be the perfect match. So that might be why they're shying away from therapy. Well, we don't want them to shy away from therapy and we can fix that. Or maybe the time isn't the right time and they need a different time. Well, we need to probe a little bit. And maybe they have a really high copay and they just don't want to say, you know what, look, I can't afford this. Mm-hmm. That's a real daily scenario we run into. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody wants to say, you know, I can't afford. I mean, they, that makes you feel sort of like a bad mom. You're not a bad yeah. mom. But I mean, because it is what it is, you know, but it could. And so people will avoid that and sometimes not do it. And so but there are tactful and human ways to get around that and address it. Right. And in my experience, what I'm seeing now in the clinic, because admin, they've established that relationship with the parents, you know, they take the copays, they answer the questions relevant to the insurance and the glitches that come up with their insurance. They are very comfortable explaining a situation to the Mm -hmm. admin staff, probably more so than the therapist. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a circle of solutions that are happening. The admin person can communicate to the therapist, the therapist can communicate admin, parent is involved as well. And I feel comfortable saying 100%. I've never seen a situation not resolved with those three components included in the process. I think you're right. I don't, I think usually when it comes to the copay situation and discussion, the parent's going to talk to the front desk person about that before mm-hmm. the therapist every day. Mm-hmm. But then what can happen is, mm-hmm. but the therapist needs to know. They right. need to know, hey, look, this family, Kim and I dealt with this just like a week or two ago. I think the therapist just needs to know, hey, look, this family's got a $50 copay and they're getting OTPT and speech and they have to pay $50 each time. That's $150 a week. I mean, you multiply that out, it doesn't take long to figure out it's a lot of money. That's a lot. And so then the front desk person can communicate to the therapist, this family may be a little bit worried about copay. They have $50 each time. So when I'm writing my plan of care, I'm going to coordinate with PT and OT as a speech therapist potentially, you know, for this child. And maybe they don't need speech every week, or maybe they don't need OT and PT every week. Maybe we can, you know, if we have a good home program and we're communicating, maybe disciplines can cross over and carry over things. And that's where the therapist can come in. They don't have to discuss the copay, but they can discuss, hey, how about this for a plan? And then the family can decide this is what they can afford, or they can tell you, no, I'd like to increase services. Or they can tell you. Not the copay thing, just this is the number of times a week I was thinking. They can add and subtract. The parent is adding and subtracting as we're talking. That communication between the front desk and the therapist, is, I think, is key to helping this scenario. Yes. But I think also sometimes families, besides the copay thing, they don't want to tell you, hey, this time doesn't work, or this therapist doesn't work for me, or, hey, I only have enough gas to get my husband to and from work. So if you schedule the appointment right before or after when I'm picking my husband up, I can be here. But if you want me to come another time, I'm probably not going to be here. Parents oftentimes won't come clean to the therapist about that, but they will tell the front desk person. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and they're especially not going to come clean about not being a good fit because they're not purposely talk ugly about a therapist or insinuate that they're a bad therapist. They just know, I think, in their heart and their mama gut is what I like to call it, that (laughs) it's just not a good fit. So that's when I think like a team lead comes into play or front desk might feel comfortable enough talking to them about it. But really, I think it's an important role for a team lead to step in and kind of join the problem. Not yeah. the problem, well, but you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I think it's definitely an area of growth for our front desk people to kind of start to recognize what could be hindering them from coming in and 
you know, you don't have to come right out and say, hey, is that therapist not a good fit for you? Or you you don't like them? You know, but it's like, well, I have an opening on so-and-so's schedule. Do you want to switch days? Like it could be approached in a different way where we never even have to have the parents say that. But if we feel like that's the underlying issue, we could try and approach it other ways without having to come out and say that. But I think that's a good area of growth for our front desk people to get to because they are Mm -hmm. getting to know these families. Mm -hmm. And I think it just takes paying attention and listening. One of our core competencies is listening. And so I think it takes good listening skills to sort of hear that and pick up on it and then say, hey, you know, you may not even know if that really is the issue, but you could always offer, hey, you know, well, you're coming in for Susie at four, but, you know, Cindy has an appointment at two or whatever on Wednesday or something. You know, you may be stumbling along a solution without even realizing what the real problem is, you know, right. if you're listening and thinking about different ways to solve the problem. And I think the main concept with this in terms of the no-show and cancellation is good communication between the front desk and the therapist and the family. But essential to that is front desk and therapist. And I've heard in other places where people have talked about us and them, meaning us, the front desk people, them, the therapist, or us, the therapist, and them, the front desk. If you have an us and them mentality, it's never going to work and it's going to be bad. I mean, it's, it's not an us and them. It's a teamwork, team building. It's a we, us. And we are all here to help that child you know, improve upon whatever they're having trouble with so they can go and live their own life because it's not our life, it's their life. And But we just want to give them what they need so they can pick their course. That's really it. And so I think it's never us and them. And if you look at it that way, oh, well, you know, I don't make reminder phone calls. You know, if you have that mentality, then you're going to fail and you're going to have a problem because, mm-hmm. you know, I can make a reminder phone call almost as good as the people at our front desk. Probably not as good, but close. And then, or, you know, if you have a mentality, oh, well, I don't ever, you know, the front desk tells me about the copay. I never go into them and ask them. That's going to be a problem. Or if you're at the front desk and you're like, oh, well, therapists don't really know about copays. That's just my job. That's a problem, too, because, you know, they need to know just as much as you do. So I think it's always a we. It's a definite we situation. Everybody has their role and their equal importance. I was going to say, we know stuff happens. So in our system, we have ways to document a cancel versus a no-show. So once the therapist knows the definition, sometimes there's a gray area. There is no just black and white, oh, they're within two hours, and they said they picked them up from school, and they're throwing up on the way to therapy, so they turned around and went home. Well, we don't want them in the clinic anyway, so we're not going to mark that as a no-show. We're going to mark it as a cancel, even though we know that's technically in the two-hour window, but do we really want them coming in the clinic? But if there's a pattern, oh, they're sick again this week. Oh, they're sick again. Oh, we're not going to make it back from Raleigh. Oh, we're at Walmart. Like, those are judgment calls, and there's no reason that you should be in the line at Walmart, and that's why you're late for your therapy session. Mm-mm. No. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's where the front desk can hold a patient very accountable, you know, because the therapist probably, they're not going to get that call. They're treating some other child. If the family calls in 15 minutes before the appointment says, oh my gosh, I'm in the line at Walmart. I'm not going to get out in time. The therapist isn't going to be able to handle that scenario because they're probably in therapy with another child expecting that patient to be, the patient that's at Walmart to be in in 15 minutes. So that's where the front desk doesn't just automatically say, oh, gosh, well, I'll let the therapist know. Too bad. You know, we'll see you next week. That's a, oh, Ms. Jones, well, you know, uh, Hayden's expecting you today. And is this always going to be a bad time? You know, our cancellation policy is this and our no-show policy is that. And so, you know, we're looking forward to seeing Johnny today or whatever. You know, that's a little bit more of an accountable response versus, yeah, huh, that happens to me all the time. And, oh, well, yeah, we'll see you next week. That's not a great response. So, you know, that's just where you're holding somebody accountable, but in a very nice, 
hey, you need to be here way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but life does happen. You're right. I think team members or therapists, admin staff, team leads, parents, I've seen in a perfect world, if we're discussing this topic, everybody's holding everybody accountable. It is ongoing. And, you know, one of the stories that I heard today, which I absolutely loved, a therapist was telling me how she had a conversation with admin today, referencing a child that no-shows regularly in the schedule and how it was affecting her schedule. And the two words she used while she was telling me this were, she said, I had a conversation, and it was a nice conversation. And so those two words stuck out in my head because I thought, I'm all about a conversation that's productive and solving a problem, and I'm all about you being nice. So she had to hold the front desk person accountable, and sometimes it's vice versa. You know, the front desk has to hold the therapist accountable say, hey, we have this thing we're trying to grow. We're trying to develop and nail this policy and build this and make this better for all. So I think everybody has to be held accountable. Not just parents and front desk, but everybody. Everybody. It is a group effort for sure. Well, I agree. To be successful, it is. We're yeah. working with the public, period. We are working with lots of people every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kids and families, and mm-hmm. it is kids, so they're going to get sick. And, you know, some of our little people are very medically fragile, and so they have a lot of appointments. They get sick, they're in the hospital. Sometimes our little people are in the hospital for unfortunately, weeks or sometimes months at a time. And, you know, we don't want to just get rid of those kids off the caseload. But at the same time, I mean, if a child is going to be hospitalized for several, you know, four or five weeks, and that does happen to some of our little people, you know, it's hard to hold that slot when you've got 50 kids waiting for the appointment, but you don't necessarily have to give up the slot. We could fill that slot and then we can find the child another slot when they're able to come back in. So I think sometimes letting parents know that helps with that accountability and with trust and overall group work effort to say, hey, look, you know, even if a parent isn't showing up all of a sudden, you're finding out, hey, look, the dad just lost the job. The mom just picked up a new job. They're down to one car now, that kind of thing. And they don't really want to tell you, hey, we can't come for therapy anymore. But you can work through difficult situations if you're all working as a group and communicating and find out, oh, well, you know, maybe you want to give up your slot right now. We'll put you on our to-be-seen list. And then in a few months, when things are sort of calmed down, we'll put you back in on a regular appointment slot. I think, you know, that's perfectly appropriate because there's different stages in life when speech therapy is the main thing. And then there's some times when, yeah, the child needs speech therapy, but that's just not the main thing right now. And that's okay. Right. Yeah. And so we're here ultimately to help that little person. So... I think that, you know, we talked about it's a whole team effort and it's accountability on everybody's part, but it goes back to our why that the therapists and the admin staff and the team, they have to know that what they're doing is making a difference. And if they don't believe that what they're doing out there and the purpose that it serves, then they're probably not going to be bought into the cancellation and no-show. They're not going to be concerned if somebody doesn't show up or they're like, woohoo, hour break. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I think that it's really important that they have to value what they do and what they know. Yeah, I agree. And value the significance that role is for that little person. We don't take that lightly at all here. That's the serious business for us. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's little people that expect a lot of us. Those little two-year-olds are demanding group of individuals, and we need to deliver. (laughs) 
So before we wrap up this podcast, I wanted to let everybody listening know, we've talked a lot about home programs. We have a whole podcast on how to write a good home program. So we have lots of podcasts on that and various other therapy topics. And so check those out. We're on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you're lucky, you can hear Kim and Kirstie again and all those other podcasts as well. (laughs) So check them out. But we did talk a lot about home programs and that's a good one. So check it out. You can also find information on our website at www.pediatric.com dt.com and this podcast on www.theworkingtherapist.com so i enjoyed hanging out thanks kirstie and thanks kim i appreciate it welcome thank you i like talking about this topic even though it's sort of a bane of my existence in some ways but yes (laughs) but, but i like to solve the problem so i like that right not so much cancellations and no shows, but solving the problem. So anyway, thank you guys. I really appreciate your help, your insight. It was awesome. Thank you so much again for being here with us. And thanks everybody for listening. And I'll catch you on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 